If I have not met you yet, my name is Adam. I'm on staff here as the pastor of student ministries, which means I have the pleasure and the privilege of working uh, with your, your kids in uh, middle school, high school, as well as some of you college-age folks. Uh, pastor Steve is away visiting one of our missionaries, so uh, he asked me to speak today, and uh, I'm a little bit under the weather, so if you'll pray that God doesn't release the roaring rapids behind my nose, that would be great. We're in a series, <laughs> I heard my wife go, <laughs> We're in a series titled Working for God, and we're in uh, 2 Corinthians, so if you want to turn in your Bible, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, throughout this, uh, this book, this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, we see some corrections that take place, we see some questions that need answered, um, and he's done that in some previous letters. And now, at this point, he's a little bit more favorable towards the Corinthians, and he's including them as co-ministers or co-workers for God on the same team. We're doing the same thing, uh, which is why we get our title, Working for God. So that's a little bit of the, the context of where we are. Sometimes as we get into a series, we start to forget what the series is about. Uh, Paul is including the Corinthians as co-workers and saying, here's some things that we as a church, as a group, need to do if we're going to be co-workers for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So along the way, he continues in some, answering some questions. He uh, continues to correct some, some misconceptions, such as about his authority as an apostle. That's pretty prevalent throughout this letter. And finally, uh, before we get into chapter 8, I want to pick up where Steve left off in, uh, in chapter 7 um, and just kind of glance across uh, that chapter for a moment. You see in chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, I am overflowing with joy. Uh, you see in chapter 7, verse 9, Paul says, I rejoice because you were grieved into repenting. So the previous letter that he had sent was well received. In verse 13, he says, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, his uh, companion who sent the letter, carried the letter, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all, he says to the Corinthians. And then the very last verse of chapter 7, uh, verse 16, Paul says, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So that's where we picked, off, uh, picked up from, from last week. Uh, things are going well. I'm really excited. And, you know, whenever things are going well, somebody can always ruin it by talking about money. So if you move into chapter 8, Paul is going to talk about the collection He's going to talk about the collection, which we'll cover in just a second. So he, his next topic that he's going to launch into is on generosity. And that's actually going to cover the next three weeks. So this is a three-part sort of mini sub-series in Working for God. So the next three weeks, we get to talk about this. And all of you are very thrilled. And it'll cover the next two entire chapters of this 13-chapter book. I think it's interesting that money is something people don't like to talk about. For example, I could ask somebody like, what do you enjoy doing? Uh, what do you, you know, enjoy spending, spending your time doing? And they'd tell me, oh, I enjoy this or I enjoy that. But I can't be like, what do you spend your money on? Which is essentially the same question in a lot of ways sometimes. Similarly, if you uh, maybe are 
single and you're going out on dates and you go out with somebody, you're not going to sit across the table and be like, how much do you make a year? Like, you don't, you just, you just kind of don't do that. Uh, and I think it's probably because money and talking about money shows a lot about us and shows a lot about who we are. If you open up somebody's bank account, you could probably get a good sense of who they are as a person. So you would like to know, you would probably know that I like Taco Bell and Target. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we say that Paul transitions from talking about joy to talking about money, it seems kind of odd. But if we say Paul transitions from talking about joy to talking about generosity, it makes a little bit more sense. And I think that Paul understands Jesus' words and that gives him a sort of boldness to enter a conversation about generosity and giving with the Corinthians because he knows that joy and generosity are not two separate things, but they're inseparably linked. So as we forge ahead to chapter 8, we're going to look at the collection, which is uh, a, a pot, a pool of money that uh, Paul is going around to the different smaller churches and gathering to poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so we're going to look at uh, two questions. Our message this morning is very simple. Um, one of them you already probably know. Raise your hand if you think we should ge be generous. All right, that's our first question is what should we do? When it comes to generosity, what should we do? Don't raise your hand, but the second question is a little bit, uh, a little bit different. Why should we do it? Everybody raise their hand really fast. Second question, why should we do it? Everyone has to think about it for a moment. So those are our two questions that we're going to look at. The first one is covering uh, verses 1 through 7, I believe. Yep. And the second one will be 8 through 15. So before you just check out and you think, I already know I should, I should be generous, um, let's dive in and look at the Word of God and hear what He has to say about the topic. Okay? So let me pray. God, thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray as Paul has done, you'd allow us to enter a conversation about generosity, giving, money. Even though it's a taboo subject, let us enter it boldly. Let us enter it humbly. Let us enter it comfortably. Um, I know that there are some folks who are very casual uh, about talking about money, and that doesn't seem to be as big a deal for them. And then there are others uh, who are sitting in this room who immediately at the thought of talking about this uh, this chapter of scripture, they tense up a little bit. So God, I pray that you would relax us, allow us to talk about generosity and giving uh, while all pointing towards you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me go ahead and just read. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So our first section, what should we do? Just looking at that, what should we do? We know we're going to be generous. Let's talk about it. Uh, too often, I think, in Scripture, we zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and we kind of overlook the point of what the author is saying to the recipient. So here Paul is talking about the collection. The Jewish believers uh, were not well off, and so Gentile churches are gathering money for them. And we see that this is a particular person talking to particular people about a particular topic at a particular point in time. So it doesn't mean that there isn't application for us to pull out of that, but we need to understand that he is talking to the Corinthian church. Here's why I think there is application for us, though. If you look at the very first verse that I just read, we want you to know, brothers, he's just saying, hey, guys, I want you to know about this. And then in uh, verse 7, he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So it's sort of bookended here, verses 1 through 7. I want you to know about this. Do likewise. So as I am speaking to you guys, as I am speaking to Mission View Church, I'm going to tell you about the churches of Macedonia, and I would like you to do likewise. I would love for our church to be able to participate. So let's look at the example of the Macedonians together. In verses 1 and 2, the, the Macedonians are giving. We want you to know brothers. Paul addresses the Corinthians as brothers because we're co-workers. We're on the same team. And immediately we get kind of a, a picture of the global church. I want you to know, brothers, we're in this together. And then he mentions Macedonia, which includes uh, the churches at Philippi, at Thessalonica, at Berea. You probably recognize some of those names because they're letters in our New Testament. And so it's almost as if Paul is inciting a little bit of competition going on here between the churches. He's like, look at what these churches are doing well. Check out these other churches. What is it that we need to know about them? The very first verse, he says, about the grace of God. Generally, we talk about grace as God's unmerited favor towards us. God has looked favorably upon us. And this is a correct view of what it means to talk about God's grace, but it is not a complete view. It's a sort of combination of love and mercy that extends out toward us, and that is good, but this is not just a situation in where we receive. Grace is not just a one-way avenue from God to us. It is overflowing. It is a multifaceted and grand movement that we participate in. Let me give you an example. Grace here is the Greek word charis. It's <clears throat> actually how it's pronounced. Charis, not just sick. And it's going to be used ten times in the next two chapters. And it's got several nuances, so we'll, we'll cover this as we go. But here, uh, in verse 1, it means enablement to give. So Paul wants to talk to the Corinthians about the giving that's going on in Macedonia, specific, specifically how they have the ability to give. They are empowered to give. It's kind of like how around this season we might say there's a spirit of giving in the air. You guys heard that? You see some, some ads and magazines and stuff, things that come to your door. Uh, you see it on TV. There's a spirit of giving. And it's sort of like 
The Macedonians here are given a spirit of giving. They were given the opportunity and empowered to give. So it's very simple. It's a very simple, straightforward message. God has given the churches at Macedonia the ability to give. So our first point, what should we do? Connect giving and God. Connect giving and God. And this sounds like a very, very simple thing to say. And as I was reading this, I was like, I can't, I can't have that be one of my main points. But so often as a church, as believers, we take the two and we separate them. And we say, there it is, is a spirit of giving in the air. There's, uh, we give just for the sake of, of giving. And too often we don't connect the two. We think of this holiday season that we're approaching as something that it's just an opportunity to be generous and not necessarily an opportunity to spread God's joy and his love and his forgiveness towards us. There's no such thing as a spirit of giving for the believer that takes place outside of God himself. A spirit of giving is really the spirit of God empowering us to give like he's done with the Macedonian church. So for the Christian... Generosity should always be connected to what God has given you. And the reason I say that is because I don't think there were many questions about who the Macedonians were as a people, about the churches at, at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. There's not a question of, oh, they're just a generous group of people. That's what they do. They're generous. It's they are Christians. They are Christ followers. They are pressing on and pursuing the abounding love of God, and so they give as a result. So if we as a church, Mission View, or wherever you're from, just give for the sake of giving, is that all people know you by? Do people know you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, and God is the one who has empowered you to give? What's crazy is the Macedonians don't even have the same circumstances, like living situation, as the Corinthians. So Corinth was a, a trade, a commerce city. It was on the isthmus between Greece and Achaia. And so the citizens there in Corinth are wealthy, especially by comparison to those other churches. And then if we move ahead, it says the Macedonians had affliction and extreme poverty. So even in bad circumstances, the Macedonians are still giving. Take a look at this clip as an example. Empty. 
Friar Tuck, we saved this. It's not much, but please take it for the poor. Your last farthing? Oh, little sister. No one can give more than that. Bless you both. Oh, <laughs> we were just saving it for a rainy day. Well, it's raining now. <laughs> Things can't get worse. Howdy, Friar. Well, it looks like I dropped by. Spoiler alert, he steals the coin. I don't know if how accurate that is, but it's funny because the the boy mouse doesn't say, well, wait a minute, hold on, wait. You didn't talk to me about that coin to his wife. Uh, but I have a, a New Testament example as well. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Doesn't that story, doesn't that little picture kind of make your heart warm inside? What should we do? We should give regardless of economic standing. We should give regardless of economic standing. That's our second point. Don't wait for a later season in your life to start giving. It doesn't matter if you make six figures or if you make nothing. I think this is a reminder of what's going on with the churches in Macedonia that regardless of our economic standing, we can still give and give generously. And just a reminder, Paul is not condoning or scolding the Corinthians in any way here. He's commending the church at Macedonia. So likewise, I want to do that. I don't want to condone or scold Mission View, but commend the churches in Macedonia. Don't wait for a later season to start giving. If you were a student and you were like, I, I work at Wendy's and I hardly make anything, don't wait for a later season in your life to give. If you are a college-age student and you have college bills and tuition and books and stuff that you have to pay for, don't wait for a later season in your life to give. If you are a young married couple, don't wait for a later season in your life to give. If you are married and now you have a kid or two or, or three on the way, don't wait for a later season to start giving. If after that your kids are going off to college, don't wait for a later season to start giving. There's always going to be a reason to wait for a later season. Give regardless of where you are financially. And I'll, I'll put a little, little pin in that and we'll come back to that in a minute. I'm not saying give yourself into debt. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 3 to 5. The circumstances surrounding the Macedonians giving. It says that the church gave abundantly and of their own accord. They're not forced into giving. Neither will the Corinthians be. So parents, if you have students, maybe that I just said, allow your students to give uh, even though they're working at Wendy's and don't have very much money, I would not force them to give. 
It even says that they begged earnestly to be able to participate. So here's another use of the word grace, haris, meaning the favor of or the opportunity to give. Can you imagine being a part of a church like that where everyone is begging to participate in generosity? Is that weird to think about? Nobody approached me today and was like, Adam, I think we should pass around the offering plate twice. Nobody said that. Nobody comes up to Steve before a Sunday service and says that. And so here's where I feel a little stuck. People say that giving should kind of, kind of hurt a little bit. And I see what they mean. I get what they mean. It's like if you are making all this money and you give in a penny, does it really, does it really mean anything? That is, does it really work in for you? But where it seems weird to say that it should hurt is when in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God says, or, uh, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. And we'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But the Macedonians begged, despite their poverty, to give. So this is why I think Paul linked joy to generosity in the first place. So what should we do? We should enjoy giving. Enjoy giving. Uh, that's what's fun about these cards. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet, I'd say pick up uh, one of these cards. We have some over at the welcome table, but we've ordered, I think, another 500 or so. Uh, this is kind of like courage on paper. So if you've ever wanted to give or be generous or have some sort of overflowing generosity on your part and didn't know how to do it, these cards are great. So if you are in line at the Starbucks and you want to gift the person behind you, go ahead and do so. If you are at Walmart and you see somebody who is buying groceries, gift them and give them this card and have fun with it. Have fun with it. Enjoy giving. Imagine if our, our children had this sort of attitude. Many of you parents can probably recall the first time uh, you saw in your own life your, your kid's attitude about Christmas change over from being something where they just receive, they just get, they get, they get, they want. And instead it becomes about an opportunity to, to give to someone else. They start to enjoy giving instead. They have to want it though. You can't tell a child you donated all their gifts to someone else. And some of you are still kind of waiting for that change of heart in your kids. But remember, for the Christian, there's no such thing as a spirit of giving that takes place outside of God. So with your kids, don't replace God with a new God and call that God giving or generosity. Though generosity is a good thing, it's not the end all. Give because of God. Give because of what God has given to you. Our lives are reflections of a giving God. So teach that to your children. This attitude is echoed when Paul then goes on to say that they gave themselves first to God and then to us. Generosity is first and foremost all about a generous God. So the Macedonians were generous because they had their priorities straight. So our fourth point under what should we do is get our priorities straight. So these four things here I think are what should we do? If you uh, were going to be asked, what should I do? Uh, should I be generous? It's not just a simple yes. It's look at how, uh, 
look at the ways in which we should be generous. We should connect giving to God. We should give regardless of economic stand. We should enjoy giving. We should get our priorities straight. I hope that just by looking at this, we have a little bit fuller picture of what it means to give. Moving ahead in verses 6 and 7, we finally get to the core of the topic that the Corinthians should participate as well. This is what Paul is saying. He finally cuts to it that Titus should finish up the collection that he started taking in Corinth. So here, Haris refers to the gracious work of the collection itself. And Paul continues to encourage the Corinthians as they work and grow in faith and speech, etc. They must see to it that they don't forget about participating in this act of grace also. So church, so mission view, there's a lot of stuff that we are very good at. There's a lot of stuff that we are very good at. An emphasis on humility in worship, prayerfulness and petitioning before God, focusing on the word of God. See to it that you excel in this act of grace also, not because giving is an end goal, but because a generous God has given to you. So it seems relatively straightforward. Let's move on. We're now in uh, verse 8. This is the second section. Why should we do it? Why should we do it? I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean, note this, that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundant abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So... Like we did the first, with the first half, let's go through this just a bit by bit. In verses 8 and 9, we get to the core of what I think is this entire passage. Paul didn't command the Corinthians to give. Paul is not commanding the Corinthians to give, just as he didn't command the Macedonians to give. Just like we, will, we don't command people to give here. But he understands that generosity is sort of a litmus test. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And as love displays Christ, so too generosity displays love. As love displays Christ, so generosity displays love. So for you, if you're sitting in here today and you are not a Christian or you are not part of this church, and one of your qualms with Christianity is that the church is just always after your money, I want you to hear this and see this. We are not after money, but we are after the understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. We are after making disciples who have an intimacy with God, community with others, and influence in our world. So if you're an unbeliever, I want to challenge your outlook of money. 
Moving forward. Here the word haris or grace means the gracious character of the Lord. And so here we get into a more standard definition of grace. And this is why I think this is the most important uh, part of this passage. Paul shares the gospel. In verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He talks about the fact that Jesus Christ, King on his throne and Lord over all, has given up that to take up the humble estate of being man and then died on a cross. But it didn't end there. He rose again so that you can take up the position of being a son or daughter of God himself. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have, in, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Be less concerned about what God costs you. If you're an unbeliever or if you are a believer and you come and you sit here and you worry about the offering plate being passed, be less concerned about what God costs you and more concerned about what you cost God who did not take the deity of himself to be something to be grasped. But in the form of Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So why should we do it? Because generosity is all about the gospel. Generosity is all about what it says here in Philippians. Every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hope we're starting to get a little bit more of a full picture of what generosity is and what it means to give. It's not just about a spirit of giving in or outside the church that takes place around the holiday season. Generosity is all about the gospel, what God has given to us, namely in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the core of what it means to give. Moving forward into verses 10 through 12. Don't just desire it, but do it. Paul says it benefits us. Desiring is good, but completing it is better. He's talking about the collection. So let's not just want to give. Let's give. Let's not just appeal to past good intentions saying, oh, I've wanted to give, or I've hoped to give, or I'm waiting for the right opportunity to give. Let's give. Additionally, let's give according to what we have. So if we are increasing in our own resources as individuals, let's increase in what we give. If we are increasing as, uh, as a church in our resources, let's increase in our giving. 
last week or, or two weeks ago, I think it was last week, we did a sort of special offering for IBAM, International Business Admissions. Uh, and our goal was $20,000, that we'd raise $20,000 so that uh, local entrepreneurs could uh, start their businesses uh, with microloans of, I think, $5,000 each or so. And then using those loans, kind of develop a business that would be self-sustaining. And then they, with those businesses, could support the church. Uh, our goal was $20,000, and we raised $23,000. Good job, guys. So as Mission View, as we increase in our resources, we want to increase in our giving as well. Verses 13 and 14. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Here's what Paul is not saying. He kind of gives a side note here. He's not saying that the Corinthians should become poor while the Jewish believers become rich. Rather, there is a mutually beneficial relationship by which the church encourages and lifts each other up. Why should we give? Because it builds up the church. Why should we give? Because it builds up the church. And it doesn't just puff up one particular locale, but it connects Christ's church, Christ's body of believers to one another when we give. The reason I, I share that information about IBAM is because Mission View, I think we excel at this. I think there are times where I can say, I think we excel at this. Let's continue to build up the church, build our relationships with the church global. Why should we give? Because it builds up the church. And then finally, our last point, look in uh, verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul quotes Exodus chapter 16, when the Israelites are sojourning through the desert from Egypt to take hold of the promised land uh, in the Old Testament, they began to grow hungry. In fact, they actually began to whine and grumble and say, oh, it would have been better if we were still slaves back in Egypt. At least there we had food. And they're whining and sort of crying out to God. And so what God does is he gives them manna. He gives them bread to eat. And so they would go out and they would gather the bread and some of them gathered much and some of them gathered little, but all in all, they all had enough to eat. So he includes this kind of random quote here, but why should we give? Because God will supply us with what we need. God will supply us with what we need. Ben, if you guys want to wanna come up, where are they? There they are. Whether we give much or we give little, God is going to supply us with what we need to give. So sometimes, as the church, we'll be on the receiving end of giving, even. And this is all because, as, as I said at the beginning of this chapter, God's grace isn't some sort of slow-moving and viscous thing just from God to us. It is an overflow. It overflows as it did for the churches in Macedonia. We love because he first loved us. So too, let's give because God has first given to us. Let's do so joyfully, cheerfully. Let's enjoy giving. Let's build up the church. Let's share the gospel when we give. Let me pray. 
God, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, namely in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would have a right understanding of what it means to give, that we give not because it is the end all of the Christian life, but because you are the end all of the Christian life and you have empowered us to do so and encouraged us to do so. God, I pray that we would have an understanding that Jesus Christ, though fully God, became fully man, was the two together, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. God, I pray so that we can empty ourselves, understanding that we need to completely trust in you, point towards you, step out in faith and give. God, I pray that we would be generous because as you have been generous towards us, we can have eternal life in you. God, I pray that we would give and be generous so that your kingdom would be spread and that others would come to know who you are and what you've done for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.